This podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has the potential to be completely irrelevant. This is Property Jam. Welcome to this episode of Property Jam, the podcast where we talk about everything on the human side of property. And we are in for a treat today because it's not just the three of us, we have a special guest and his name is none other than Sir Ed Clark. I've just upgraded you, Ed. I don't think you realise that you actually had Sir status, but you do now on Property Jam. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself and what you're all about. Thank you. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Aww. And and uh, thank you for referring to me as a treat. That's that is, <laughs> is I think that's the first and last time. Um at least you didn't call you a biscuit. I I wouldn't mind it, you know. Um, but we're down in um I'm down in Brighton, so yeah, par for the course. But um <laughs> Uh, so I'm Ed, I run Uplift Finance, we're a, a specialist HMO mortgage broker, uh, all, all we do is HMOs, we won uh, Best Financial Services Supplier at the HMO Awards 2022, um, we're a relatively new business, uh, but not not so new that we don't know what we're doing, we've been going for about three and a half years now, uh, worked closely with Matt and Nile, had the privilege of doing that for a little while, and uh, generally like to speak and waffle and, and go off in, in tangents. So podcast format suits me quite well. <laughs> and, also, I, I, and also drunken conversations that neither of us really remember. Because Ed, Ed started off this podcast saying, Joe, I've never met you. And I was like, ah, but we yeah. have. Because we had yeah. we put the worlds to right in July last year. And neither of us can remember how we did it. But well done us. Yeah. yeah and as we said before it started, what? however, we, we did leave that conversation having a feeling like we sort of figured it all out and fixed it, it. Yeah. and uh, and history shows shit history played out very well after that um <laughs> it reminds me of when i started working in mortgage products i started setting rates in uh, early 2007 so that was another another inflection point for the world that worked out, <laughs> worked out really well for the everyone power ed the power yeah. <laughs> so most so, so we can see that the waffling is is accurate <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So what what do you, so I know you guys are focused on human side of property today. Yeah, so actually that's the question that we're supposed to ask you. So so thanks, <laughs> prompts, Mr. Clark, um, Sir Clark. Uh, yeah, what, what does the human side of property mean to you? Well, I think, obviously I'm, I'm a finance person and we're taught and trained to see homes as assets. And the the phrase passive income gets thrown around a lot on the investor side and i think you lose a lot of the value when you start to see property in that way i know with your focus on co-living and general kind of community um i i, I think that the attempt to always put property in a box of risk and return um there's an awful lot that's lost in translation there um, it's very, very complicated and very, very hard to get get some some land and some bricks and turn that into 
an investment vehicle that kind of looks and feels like a bond like that that is it, it is really hard um and it's it's so consuming that i think people people can forget that actually it's it's a home and that's why people are paying for it and they become detached from that value and they lose can lose their their, their passion for for what they started out in um what they started out to do in the first place and they do get something that looks and feels like a bond and nobody wants to live there because uh, i've never really wanted to live in an investment vehicle and is that it podcast over i think we've, we've nailed it haven't we oh have you lost me <laughs> I, I would agree with you that I, I wouldn't want to live in an investment vehicle mm. either. Um, but I do live in an investment vehicle for somebody else. As uh, most podcast listeners will know, I, I still rent my house. In fact, mm. the rent's just gone up because mortgages have gone up. I'm just like, oh, mm. yeah. And then I was just like, well, we, we've just put the rent up in all our houses too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, bloody, bloody it's fun how values change, isn't it? Um, yeah. Good to see you on the other foot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I know that the signal was was breaking up there a little bit, um, but it's the 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 human side of properties is really something to lose at your peril. I think it it naturally does happen because the rest of it is so complicated and so difficult to try and get a, a turn a property into an asset that gives you a, a reliable yield and you've got management in place and all that sort of thing. Um, but but when it is lost, the the, the money itself is a, is a measurement of that value, but it's not the value itself. The value of a property is it's a home for somebody. And if you are clever enough to turn in a, um, a, a property into kind of an investment vehicle, give it the characteristics of a bond, it, it sooner or later turns out to be not a very nice place to live. And ironically, you start to lose a lot of that value and you might not do very well. Um, I think the the, the co-living movement and the customer, the culture of being customer focused in property is is key. Um, and I, as it is in finance, um, although uh, I would say it's uh, probably a little bit rarer in finance, to be honest, as well. Mm. Yeah, well, the, the thing I find about finance is that it's all about the worst case. So mm. everyone's thinking, what is the worst case? Yeah, we had a, uh, you know, a meeting this morning with our FDs, and it was a, a range of emotions from, mm. <laughs> from, yeah, this idea is wonderful. This can do really, really well. To, um, yeah, you're going to need to, uh, yeah, you stop doing this and stop doing that, and and you almost, yeah, sometimes you feel like you have to just stand your ground just to prove your existence. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same with with the the, the banks. You have to prove that the because the, 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 in the good old days before two thousand eight, the shoe was on. You, know, you could basically say, "I'm a good guy. Just lend me the money." Now you've got <clears> to prove that you are a good guy or gal. Um, don't think I ever said the word gal before. A good he person. Getting, he was getting the glare. That was getting the glare. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, yes, yeah, so you have to you have to prove that you're a good person and mm. everything that comes with it and then w- whenever you get those questions um that just seem that little bit too intimate you just mm. it's like um really really do you really want to know this like how is this in reality going to affect my ability to repay this mortgage come yeah. on yeah well the, if you take a, a mortgage lender or a bank like a lot of other institutions you know if you've got 
couple of hundred people working at a, a small small specialist lender. Um, how many of those people are actually qualified to be decision makers and how many of them are doing what they're told? And uh, the ratio, there's not very many people who are decision makers in that organisation. There might be five or six, really. Most people have to do what they're told. So you get this herd mentality. If you kind of look at the history of how, how those structures have evolved, my granddad, when he was 20 years old, was one of the youngest people he knew to get a mortgage. Uh, and he worked in the steel mills in Sheffield. He went down with my grandmother when he was 20 years old and put his put his nice tie on. Oh, have you have you lost me? You have you lost no, me? No, you know, put his um headphones ago. Um put his put his best suit and tie on and basically looked the bank manager in the eye and shook his hand and promised him to pay him back and got the mortgage. And that that was kind of it. It was quite reputation-based. Now there was there was an upside to that having that personal connection with somebody because if they don't pay there's a, a social stigma about it and they'd know where you live and you know where they live and you are actually going to see that person so it's it's maybe difficult to scale and it may be not be very efficient but there is some truth to that and i do know a couple of bridging lenders who kind of operate in the same way still throughout as technology increased things like automated underwriting and credit scoring came in. It was overly relied on in the early 2000s, uh, which caused a lot of problems in the US and some problems in the UK, although it would have been more. They built these complicated financial models that all had their own assumptions in, but those assumptions all had flaws and it removed more of the capacity for human judgment. Um, there was a after 2008 there was a bit of a, a bit of a backlash against that and there was more focus put back on the underwriters and it became a little bit uh, it became quite criteria heavy um and there were certain strict boundaries and rules set by the senior people at banks but more importantly the senior people who give the money to the banks to lend in the first place that's where a lot of this stuff actually comes from um and then you have the underwriters sat in the middle as the enforcers, and they're given some degree of some degree of control, but uh, uh, some degree of judgment, but not an awful lot. So it may be the case that you've got a bit of criteria that seems bizarre, and you don't know why you're having to comply with that. But actually, the lender that you're dealing with has got a deal with, has taken their money from Credit Suisse. Credit Suisse have put a condition on that to say we only like people who've uh, owned a property, even if it's a single let and managed it for a year before we'll lend to you as a HMO landlord. And you're saying, well, I, I've been a HMO lettings agent for 34 years. I don't get why I'm, why does this apply to me? And actually that tick box approach, it often has come from the money markets down. Um, and it's come from a lawyer on Wall Street or a lawyer on uh, in the city of London, and now it's you know now it's somebody who really doesn't is not at the cold place doesn't really get it. They're just no. trying to find almost what's the word? It's like the perfect scenario. No, yeah. it's not the perfect scenario, but well, I suppose, but it's all very uh, arbitrary. Mm. Well, very arbitrary. It, it, somebody's got thirty-four years um, managing. Uh, property doesn't mean they're very good at it 
No, no, true. I think, I think in fairness to the banks, um, they've got a very, very difficult job as well. They're working with a, a working with huge scale, and they've got to draw the line somewhere. Um, I, I think the feeling at, on the boards of a lot of lenders is that they kind of know what they've got isn't perfect, but they know the results. They know what results that leads to and they can measure what it's done. And that feels a bit safer than altering criteria and finding out that you've had an unintended consequence of that, that somebody's you've, you've opened yourself up to a, uh, a new pool of clients who've learned how to game the system somehow and start doing sneaky things. And suddenly, you know, even if it doesn't actually impact their balance sheet that much, just that that feeling can be enough to cause cause major issues at a lender and funding lines start getting pulled, which means they go bust. So there's they've got a difficult job. And I think wherever they draw the line, that line is going to be wrong for quite a large number of people. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that on the ground it can be very frustrating and there are some bits of criteria that I just think are completely outdated and out of whack um like yeah that's exactly where my head was going I was like oh spill <laughs> yeah okay so uncontroversial opinion uh well uncontroversial example we will not refinance a property within six months to its full market value. If you've bought something and spent 100 grand on it in two months and now it's worth 50% more, um, we want you to wait six months before we'll refinance it. Well, if, it, if it's worth 400 grand, it's, it's worth 400 grand. Why, why do you want to wait another three months and then say, oh, it's okay now? I've asked more this. Lenders guidance. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've asked this many, many times, and I, I was speaking to a, a, a nameless chap at a lender today, who uh, I, I won't mention, but um, he was he was an underwriter himself, has has now moved up the chain, uh, and is working heading up one of the BDM teams at, at, at a major lender. Um, and I asked him this, and he said, "Well, the only explanation I've ever heard is that if somebody is able to refinance and they haven't put much money into a property and they're able to get all their money back out of the property, they're not left with enough skin in the game and they might just walk off and let the property go to pot and they don't care if it gets repossessed, which is the strangest, one of the stranger things I've ever heard. Because who, who, yeah, yeah. like, and, and he was saying, we were laughing about it and he's like, yeah, I, I don't know. And I said, well, what's the, what's the real reason? And he said, well, it's probably you get somebody who's an underwriter. They've always done that. They get promoted to head of underwriting. They then get a seat at the whichever credit committee it is that sets the criteria. And then they go off, get, get a promotion, go to another bank, and suddenly they're, you know, they're, they're formally responsible for setting some parts of that criteria. And they've always done it like that. Um, so it, it, it's it's people setting their ways going if it ain't broke don't fix it and scared yeah. to make change that's uh, the, the, yeah because yeah. obviously they're trying to protect their their jobs their roles their 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 money because it goes back to what you said before that um mm -hmm. 
yeah, they, they like to go with things that they know and rather than open themselves up to potential problems and the unintended consequence. Yeah. I'm sure there probably would be an unintended consequence of allowing someone to refinance same day. But I just uh, like good old days, 2008 again. I don't want to reminisce. Mm. But, um, <laughs> it wasn't even in property in 2008. But um, yeah, you could refinance the same day. And I think it's the same principle of if, if you can get a discount because you're that good at finding discounts because it is 20% mm. below market value and a value mm. agrees with you. I don't understand why you can't just refinance the same day and just lend against the value of the property. Well, I, I think it, for me, I, I, I think it's really understanding to have a fundamental, uh, really important to have a fundamental understanding of risk, what it is, what it isn't, and the key concepts about risk and lending and collateral and the credit worthiness of the client. When you have a you know, lenders criteria has got to the point where it's a 30 page PDF, but the, the 30 page PDF then doesn't have nearly half of what is actually there. And you, you've got to be on and off the phone to people to dig in. Okay, what actually is it? Is there more details here? But you need to see break clause. Oh, you got a circo lease. We need a break clause, but not this kind of break clause. And who's maintaining the property? You know, there's a crazy amount of detail. The problem is, I feel that takes, you, you can end up in a situation where you can't, you're not seeing the wood for the trees because you're concentrating on all these individual points. And actually, if you were an, an ethical mortgage broker, you could learn to tick those boxes to get the loan through. But even though you've followed the, the letter of the law, so to speak, you haven't followed the spirit. It's, is this a good loan or not? That, is this somebody who's going to be able to pay it back or not and why? Um, it's, it's a difficult thing to scale thinking for yourself. And that's why there is all this criteria, but I think it can kind of shoot itself in the foot by becoming tick boxy and becoming a distraction from the fundamentals of the transaction, which are, do I want to lend you money? And if a friend of yours comes up to you and, and, and asks you to borrow a thousand pounds because his car's broken down, um, you'll, you'll think about some obvious things like, is he, can he afford to pay you back? Um, do you care if he's going to pay you back? Um, what's his character like? Is is he going to spend it at the pub? Um, Nile has it? Has he just has he just done it? You know, um, thinking of an old housemate of mine. Um, it's it, it would be lovely to see a little bit more judgment there, and also a little bit less fear from lenders of interacting with the clients directly. Oh, that's interesting from a broker. Yeah. You're the middleman. You're the bit that sort of, you're, you're, the, you're our bridge. I'm not a gatekeeper, though. No, true. Yeah. And, well, some, a lot of people are. They want to sit and charge a toll um, for, for access. But I, I, I um, this is going to be very corny, but I think I, I'm trying to align people's needs. You know, it's, it's a matchmaking service. Oh, and like I think Valentine's Day. Exactly, mortgage love. Magic mortgage um, love. I know. What did you get this year? I got a fixed rate. Um, <laughs> a fixed rate below five percent. I'll take that. Over yeah, <laughs> it was incredibly expensive and romantic. Um, it was. Um, 
What was I bloody talking about? Um, uh, not, not being gatekeepers. <laughs> not being a gatekeeper. Yeah, yeah. Gatekeeper. I mean, that's that's the other thing with with um, with brokers. You know, you can you can be a gatekeeper. You can sit in the middle and, and up your fees and charge a big fee. Um, I, I, I don't think. I, I, I don't think that's the way to build trust with people. I think I think the correct role of a mortgage broker is to facilitate trust between a lender and a client, and um, they won't want to cut you out. They'll actually want to come back to the same route because it's that it's that feeling of, of reliability and trust that that um, that people people come back for. I think um, I, I do have some bridging lenders that will always will always do a client call. We'll always do a call with with the client to say hello, check in, make sure they know what they're doing, make sure they know if something goes wrong with the build, can can they handle it? And I think that's a really nice approach. Um, and quite happy to have direct communication if I'm on holiday, which uh, I am about once a year. So <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, but it's a biggie. It's a biggie. Um, I, I did it last year, but I'll. Uh, I'll see if I can save it all up and do it again. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Well, I, I, you probably don't know this joke. The, the, I was due to uh, take a, take a week or two off in around about early October, but I, I couldn't do that because Liz Truss. Um, <laughs> Liz Truss. So just. <laughs> I know a lot of people. A lot of people had worse things than canceling the holiday. But you know, I, I I am the centre of the universe. You are. We've so discovered it's all this. about yeah. all about my holiday. It really. Um, is. So yeah, I, uh, I, I, but, how, how much you paid your holiday? You should let her know. Yes, I will. Well, she right. said she said she came said recently she hasn't been given a, her policies haven't been given a chance to work. She's a bit gutted, and the, the 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 economic institutions are against her. You've got to <laughs> give her kudos for sticking to her guns, <laughs> and still believing yeah. her policies would work. It's well, you know what? If she sticks to them long enough, at some point they will work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a marriage. Ten years time, you're like, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but I, I, I ended up taking around about a month off at the end of the year. I haven't had a proper holiday for, for a couple of years. And then I, I just took the whole year's leave at one go, oh, which nice. was really, really great. And I, I, I'm deluded enough to think I'll be able to do it again this year. Well, you're self-employed. You can take as much time off as you want. That's how it works, right? I mean, I can, but but some <laughs> things start to happen. <laughs> things or, can or, start or falling happen, over. Happen, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, um, uh, I think we've got to a stage now where you can probably ask us the question. Hopefully, you become prepared with a question for us. Um, I've become I've become prepared. Yes, um, <laughs> <I'm> prepared. <laughs> That's honest. So, oh, no, I think, so, first thing that comes to your mind, separately, both Matt and Niall, what do you dislike now? Um, the, what do you think, if you think about yourselves when you were, say, a couple of properties in, you know, you start a city journey, but you're still, still fresh, you're getting your confidence a little bit, what do you think is, is the, the biggest mistake or maybe mindset change if you met a slightly younger version of yourself now compared to compared to your your, your your present self is there something you think you were wrong about in your approach or in your outlook 
Mm. So if you could, yeah, if there's, so if there's something you would do differently. Yeah, yeah, and and something you would do differently, and is is there a, is there anything that comes to mind in terms of um, anything deeper than that in terms of your outlook or your approach or your attitudes towards what you were doing? I think I I notice people as they go down their journeys, they they do seem to grow a lot and they they grow into different people, and I wonder if you've ever reflected on that or have you got it all right from day one i think for for me it was um i, I wanted to do everything myself i you mm. know i didn't want to have anybody else involved in the process um not even my, my partner at the time so i think it's but since matt and i started working together and after we bought our mm. first couple of properties things moved a lot quicker and suddenly you've got someone else there to lean on as an accountability partner, as because I did everything. <clears throat> well, <laughs> it didn't last long. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah. So that that my advice to my younger self would be: don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm. Do you still do you still have to remind yourself of that? Yes. Yeah, in certain that's, in certain points, yeah, I still have to remind myself of that. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's definitely something um, I have to constantly be on top of myself about. And um, I think I think perfectionism is is seen in a good light, but it can it, it can be quite counterproductive actually because uh, it, it's you can take on too much and. And uh, suddenly you haven't found somebody back for two days because you're trying to do absolutely everything. Um, yeah. and I, it's that 80-20 rule, isn't it? Of, um, you need to do 20% of the stuff that gives you 80% of the results. And actually 80% of the results is fine. Um, yeah. And because uh, 80% actually gets you results, 100% effort doesn't, well, 100% perfection doesn't get you the results because you say so far, yeah, too, too focused yeah. on it. It's it's defining the finish line, isn't it? It's it's good enough. It's good enough. Like, have you achieved your goal? Okay, well, you can you can stop now. Then you can do something else. Um, but yeah. I suppose you you get it, and you want to achieve the goal more. Um, yeah. I'm listening to um to a book on Audible at the moment, Shoe Dog. Um, yeah, and he said, he... "Is it autobiography? Hmm? Is it autobiography? Shoe Dog." <laughs> <laughs> he um he talks about when he started employing people he's like just give them tell them what to, to tell them what their job is and just let them do it like don't mm. manage and i think that's something that like i have a habit of is checking in and micromanaging too much mm. 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 Yeah, I think how, about, how about you Go me no no i was i was gonna say how, how about you Matt? did you have any reflections on on have you had any any major mindset changes or um early 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 outlook mistakes um no it's, it's a tricky one because i think this things that are similar to, to niall in terms of learning to let go of stuff because i mm. am a perfectionist but I'm also happy to get things to 80%. Um, I'm, mm. I'm a perfectionist when other people do it, put it that way. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so other people have got to get 100%, but it's okay if I get 80%. But um, 
yeah also it's defining where other other people's 80 percent is um mm. also making sure the right people do the right things because mm. if you've got the wrong people doing the wrong things then you may as well not have anybody doing anything because you're, mm. you're, you're, you're de decreasing it so, and it's that i suppose the fear of the the wrong things being done or wrong things being done by the the right things being done by the wrong person means that the thing doesn't get done properly um mm. and again it's that, those kind of fears in the back of my mind going okay well if i hand this off am i just have to redo it when it comes back to me mm. and then there is a bit of worry about that and you know what it still happens i still get things um from the team i was like i should have just done this myself because either, yeah. I, either I didn't explain it properly or I overestimated their ability to do it. Um, mm. Or I, as I didn't, I, I didn't train them. I haven't trained them how to do that, that thing. And I just expect them to do it. And that's something which I've learned is that um, you can't just expect anyone to just go ahead and do stuff. So mm -hmm. in the same vein that Niall's saying, ask for help. You just ask the right people for help. And then if you're going to ask someone to do something that you want done a specific way, you have to teach them how to do it first. Yeah, give them the right instructions. I think I, I, I failed at that on numerous occasions with team mm -hmm. um, and just getting someone who, so the first bookkeeper made a complete mess of everything. <laughs> took years mm -hmm. to get over her, um, <laughs> her ability to drop, mm -hmm. a, drop a bomb on, uh, mm -hmm. on zero. Um, or whatever we were using at the time sage I think. sage yeah, yeah sage, sage I yeah. Like, messed it all up and so it took a while to quite undo it all just assume that she would know what she was doing and she definitely did not so um yeah i think that's something is 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 training somebody and taking the time to train someone that actually can pay dividends and i still probably mm. don't do that today um mm. of our team whereas as, as i should i, I would I, I i would i mean i know you had the music school so training is you know, and you've got a, a HMO, the HMO platform. So training is, you know, you, you like it, you enjoy it. I, I, I Science, like, yes. um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering, I've, I've thought this about uplift of, I would like my position more and more to shift into somebody who spends all their time training the staff, training and raising the competency, the people there. Uh, and less and less time doing the doing the, the grunt work or any of the work really um <laughs> i think i think the difference with, with your business is that you're training them to do the thing that you have done yes yeah. so, so, so you're trying to train like mini eds you know yeah the mini mini, mini, mini easter eds mini easter eds, <laughs> mini easter eds. <laughs> i'll uh, i won't um, mention that to tom yeah. And so you're, you're, you're trying to create replicas of yourself that, are, that were doing the job that you were doing whereas i think mm the difference is that i if you're training someone in a part of your business which is not a part that you're good at you can't need them to just pick it up and do it and some people will some people won't but also mm -hmm. um, again you still have that maybe the unrealistic expectation of how they're going to do it and mm -hmm. what what the vision is from your perspective versus what it is from their perspective so again it's down to communication and correct um instruction and because if you give them yeah, give someone the wrong tools or the wrong the wrong map. They're not going to end up in the right place. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. No. Did 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 you get any thoughts, Joe? When we were speaking there, did you have any similar uh, lessons? I think for me, the overwhelming feeling I got in the early days was just being so incredibly stressed. I just yeah. was so stressed 
and I think part of that was that striving for perfection thing which kind of everyone touched on and I would literally you know I remember my first HMO I, I can't tell you the amount of sleep I lost because I was just mm. it just felt so big you know and I just I would just be at my desk at my laptop and I would just be from morning till night just in an Ikea basket or on the phone or you know just trying just oh, picture oh, you in an Ikea <laughs> one of those big blue bags <laughs> sat in a bag like sat in a bag um, under, under a bridge eating noodles yes <laughs> no but do you know what I mean just like or I'd be sort of in my gant chart and I'd be adjusting you know like the, everything mm. within the it's sort of over updating investors to the point it was yeah. you know what I mean and I, I think just, I think actually we just take a pause I think we should ask now what a Gantt chart is what's it's a Gantt chart now it's the thing you find in the bottom of the Ikea bag yeah. ah good to know good to know thank you yeah it's very You're comfortable <laughs> no but I think that was my I lost too much sleep I think over things that mm. when I look back now didn't warrant the level of anxiety I was bringing to it and it was because I was striving for perfection you know um and acceptance mm um mm. and you know it, there's a good that's there's a healthy level to that because you are accountable to so many your lender your your investors you know your building team um mm. and obviously ultimately to yourself but and I can be my own worst critic mm. I think and I, I think now mm. I have a much more relaxed approach mm. I would tell myself mm. to chill the fuck out I think chill the yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but you wouldn't listen though that's the problem no, no. Hindsight, <laughs> you go through it to know that it's not worth it. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. I think they call that ah. What do they call it? That's ironic. I've forgotten what they call it. Um, I think I heard somebody refer to that as a, a expensive knowledge. It's not complicated. It's not a. It's if you were to read about that in a book, it's not hard to understand. But to actually. To actually feel that and you go and learn that lesson, you, yeah. it's one of those things you have to go through it, like public speaking or those sorts of things. You can't you can't be taught that. You have to actually do it. Yeah, yeah you got to throw yourself in the deep end and kind of get comfortable with it, right? Stretch that comfort zone a bit, and yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, definitely. People definitely learn best, and they they I think they become better people and grow through doing. You know, it's the only way mm. to kind of you know feel the failure, screw it up, learn the lessons, go again. You know, like you said, Matt. You know, the bookkeeping thing. Like, yeah, one hundred percent. So I think we've got time now for a little bit of episode roulette. Oh, Nile. So I've currently got the wheel of death because my phone doesn't seem to work. Oh, there we go. It's working. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't like work. It doesn't <laughs> like worthing. Um, so yeah, so for all of our new listeners and for Ed uh, that's just joined us today, uh, I'm going to scroll through previous episodes of Property Jam. Um, Ed, you shout stop at any point and give us your opinion on the topic that we stop on. So it could be anything as exciting as licensing, tenant stories, anything we, we've done since the very first one. So I am scrolling. Stop. Oh, I think this came up the last time I did this as well. Episode 15, is your family invested? So right. are your family on board with you being self-employed and 
not having a normal job? <laughs> uh, well, they haven't got a bloody choice, have they? So <laughs> they need, they're going to need to be. Um, they are now. Mm. Now it's working. Now it's working. <laughs> so, now they get better think, Christmas presents. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, my uh, family have always been supportive, but I think it is. It does sound understandably crazy when you say you're going to start a business. Um, statistically, they're correct. What is it? 95% of businesses fail within two years, something like that. Um, so, you know, uh, it, but it was, it, and also me being a bit of a creative head in the clouds person, it was all a bit vague when it started. So uh, I think there was quite a bit of scepticism, but uh, I'm also quite annoying and we'll just do what I want anyway. And, and now everybody's very happy. <laughs> you show them <laughs> yeah okay yeah. i am scrolling again all right stop okay episode 22 fomo do you do you get fomo do you suffer from fomo fear of missing yes. out yeah yes yeah yeah um do you, do you wish you were in worthing right now so we could go to the pub um, I I do not because on Sunday night I gate crashed somebody's wedding. I was sort of half invited in. They invited us in, but I've had enough for a while. I've had enough alcohol oh. for a while. But I think. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know. Feeling fragile still. No, I was I was a little bit slow yesterday. I was a little bit slow, <laughs> but I'm okay today. But hang on a minute. Uh, is that why is that my my refinance hasn't completed yet? <laughs> <laughs> it, um, absolutely absolutely um it, it made all the difference and um, the I, I think yeah there, there is a lot of fear of missing out and i think with what we do um we know that of a certain of a set number of inquiries will probably you know if we take three or four inquiries probably one of those will turn into a case and um we also know that some days we get two inquiries some days we'll get 15 and we've only probably got time to deal with four or five. Um, so you have to get used to deciding which ones you're going to speak to. You have to accept the fact you're going to be wrong. You're going to overlook things that are really good, and you're going to spend lots of time on things that aren't, are not really good. Um, uh, and you, you've got to accept that a lot of some cases don't go through. People pull out. Uh, there are valuation issues. Sometimes you get a uh, very, very strict underwriter. Um, I genuinely can't think of a time where we've made a mistake. I made a couple when I was new, were correctable, but I probably had the old case when I very first started where I could have thought, okay, actually, I could have, I could have been better with my choice of lender there. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very difficult... The, the it takes a lot of experience to accept that the not all of the cases we put through will make it to completion because of those things that can happen and you can't help everybody which is my one of my main desires is i'm a i am a big old rescuer and i do like to to help people Aww. and why this job has been so good for me is it's helped me deal with it and i've gone okay well uh, let's try and actually do that in the real world. And in, and in order to help this set number of people, I need to say no 
to these other lot that I can't physically deal with. So I, I think that's a, yes, I do have some FOMO. That is a, a great time to uh, say no to the rest of this podcast. So uh, <laughs> we have come to the end of our time together. Thank you so much, Ed, uh, for being with us and for joining and going through um, the the inner workings of, of banks, um, which I, I found fascinating. I'm sure some of our uh, listeners will find fascinating. Uh, so quite a lot mm. of them switched off after five minutes. But you know what? <laughs> I, I, I think there was some value there too. So I was to say thank you very much, Ed. It has been a pleasure having you on. It's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. All right, goodbye from me. jam with us on social media where you can hear more and see more on facebook search property jam podcast or you can follow us on instagram at property jam podcast or you can email us at property jam podcast at outlook.com see, see you, you on the next, next episode, episode.